There are so many religions in the world. How are they similar and how are they different? We need to know. The culturally correct view is to blend them all together as equally relevant and legitimate. But is that true? Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, your host, Mike Shreve, was an avid seeker of truth, exploring many paths to spirituality. One of his passions now is to help bridge the gap so that others can discover the true light, which gives light to everyone entering the world. Now, here's Mike Shreve revealing the true light. This program is a departure from the norm for me. It's still a study of comparative religion, but it's based on current events. I'm sure most of you have seen on the internet stories about Congressman Emanuel Cleaver, who is a Missouri representative serving his ninth term, and he was once a Methodist pastor. However, let me insert here that credentials from a religious organization do not make someone a pastor. Only the true calling of God can impart that status. But Congressman Cleaver recently ended his prayer over the 117th Congress with an incredible closing. And when I say incredible, I don't mean amazing. I mean the real, literal meaning of the word, incredible, beyond belief. Although he was probably trying to be kind and gentle and inclusive toward others, Yet, it's still hard for me to believe that anyone professing to be a Christian could present such a wrongly worded petition to God. Not only is his theology warped beyond biblical recognition, his reference to a Hindu deity would be considered completely erroneous even to a Hindu. As Jesus said to the woman at the well, you don't know what you're worshiping. I was a worshiper before I became a Christian, before I became a born-again follower of Jesus, but I did not comprehend the God I was worshiping. And so there are many people of many different worldviews that have a genuine heart to worship God but their doctrine is all skewed, and therefore they can't really connect with God. Because to be a true worshiper, you have to worship him in spirit. That's a regenerated spirit, born again, filled with God's spirit. And you worship him in truth. That means a correct revelation of his nature, his character, his word. And so worshiping is not enough. Being a true worshiper should be our goal. Well, here's some notes on his controversial prayer. He did reference the priestly proclamation of Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And that was wonderful. That was biblically rooted. But then, as he ended the prayer, he said these unbelievable words. We pray to the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. And then, surprisingly, he ended by saying, Amen and A-Women. 
Now, those final gender-blending terms, which really have nothing to do with the Bible word amen, which means truth or so be it, have garnered most of the negative comments online. Almost every article, almost everything I saw had to do with the way he changed the meaning of the word amen to make it gender-affirming and and then followed by a-women, which is, of course, uh, totally erroneous. Mr. Cleaver claimed that it was a pun, and yet I don't believe prayers are the place for puns. Prayer is serious business. It's serious to connect with the Creator. That was definitely a negative in what transpired, but I believe the statement prior to Amen and A Women is even more incriminating, and I intend to focus on that in the remainder of this article. Let me quote it again. He said, We pray to the monotheistic God, Brahma, B-R-A-H-M-A, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. How does that break down? Is that true? Is it not true? How do we deal with it? Well, first and foremost, Brahma is not, and I emphasize again, Brahma is not the monotheistic God. Even within the ranks of Hinduism, he's only one of 330 million gods and goddesses worshipped in that religion. That's at least the traditional number. And since the prefix mono means one, Congressman Cleaver missed his description of that deity by a count of 329,999,999. Maybe, and I am giving him the benefit of a doubt, he was mistakenly trying to reference Brahman. That's B-R-A-H-M-A-N. You may think that that little difference in spelling and pronunciation is inconsequential, but there is a huge difference between Brahma, B-R-A-H-M-A, and Brahman, B-R-A-H-M-A-N, even though the two names only differ by one letter, and that's the letter N. Brahman, with an N on the end of it, is considered to be ultimate reality in Hinduism. Ultimate reality means you can't go any further than that. That's the highest reality of the universe. And Brahman is an impersonal life force from which the universe was emanated, which is the reason that some Hindus believe all things are a manifestation of the Godhead that it really all has a divine essence. The tree is God, the, the flower is God, the dog is God, the cat is God, every human being is God. It's the Godhead veiling itself in the appearance of physical matter. And New Age spirituality has adopted that same belief quite often. And uh, some New Agers, some Hindus believe a little bit differently, but basically that's one of the foundational beliefs. Not only did Brahman manifest itself, and notice I did not say himself, but itself, because it's genderless. Not only did Brahman manifest itself as the physical cosmos, Brahman also manifested in the pantheon of millions of deities who are worshipped in that belief system. 
So the reason that Hindus often say there is only one God is very simple. They believe that all individual personal deities, like the one Mr. Cleaver referenced, Brahma, all of them were emanated out of this absolute source called Brahman. And so even though they are individual personalities, they are individual gods and goddesses, they all are manifestations of the one God. And because of that, some people say that Hinduism is monotheistic, but it's not. It's polytheistic to an excessive degree. But still, he got it wrong because he referred not to Brahman, but to Brahma. Now, there are at least eight huge theological problems with Representative Cleaver's prayer, and we need to cover all of them. First and foremost, as I already stated, Hinduism is not monotheistic, it is polytheistic, and to try and blend monotheism and polytheism is impossible. Second, the true God is not an impersonal force. He is a personal God. The everlasting Father is what we refer to him as. Third, the true God exists separate from the universe. The universe is not a manifestation of God or an emanation of God, but the true God lives and exists outside the physical cosmos. He may interact with those who are within that universe, but he exists outside of it. Fourth, the true God never has and never will manifest himself in a multitude of deities, gods and goddesses that can be worshipped. Fifth, in no uncertain terms, the true God commanded from Mount Sinai, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods beside me. And then sixth, to mix the worship of the God of the Bible, whose name is Yahweh or possibly Yahovah under the Old Testament, to mix worship of Yahweh with the worship of Brahma is not just spiritual ignorance. It's not just being unfamiliar with terminology. It is heresy. It is beyond a difference of opinion. It is heretical in nature. Seventh, by making this invocation to a false god, Mr. Cleaver achieved something quite stunning while professing to represent the God of the Bible as a former pastor in the United Methodist Church. He still publicly broke the first commandment out of ten and caused all who said amen that day to be complicit with him in his sin. Finally, number eight, since Paul said that these false deities are actually demons, and you can verify that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, whether Mr. Cleaver did it knowledgeably or not matters little. This Methodist minister was actually appealing to demons, invoking demons in his prayer to bring peace to the congressional proceedings. Are you kidding me? 
If there is anything our government does not need right now, it is an infiltration of demon spirits under the guise of being benevolent deities. With all the chaos going on right now in the upper echelons of the ruling bodies of our nation here in the United States, that could only make matters worse. It's opening a Pandora's box of satanic influence. That may seem a little strong to you, but it's certainly not strong when compared to the writings of Paul and the early church fathers. Now, for a little bit, let's focus back on this individual deity Mr. Cleaver referenced, whose name is Brahma. Of all the millions of gods worshipped in Hinduism, the three primary gods, which are referred to as the Hindu Trimurti or the Hindu Triad, they are Brahma, the creator god, Vishnu, the preserver god, and Shiva, the destroyer god. I've heard some people say, well, that's just like the Trinity in Christianity. Absolutely not. It's three individual and separate deities that many times are in conflict with each other. The true God is made up of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are absolutely one in essence, and they always work in perfect unity. Also, two traits of the true God are perfection and omnipotence, which means all power. The true God is one who is without flaws and one having absolute infinite authority and power. Hindu deities, on the other hand, are often found subject to human-like conflicts, human-like passions, and human-like weaknesses, as it is in all polytheistic religions, because their gods are made in the image of man instead of man originally being made in the image of God. They bring gods down to their level because if there are negative behavior patterns in their deities, it makes their own negative behavior patterns a little more acceptable, I'm sure. Well, uh, let me give you an example. For instance, in one of the sacred writings of Hinduism, Brahma, the creator god, who originally had five heads, had one of them decapitated by Shiva, the god of destruction. Here is a passage that is describing that unfortunate happening. I'm reading from the Shiva Purana, and some of this will be completely foreign to you, I'm sure, but I'll get to the important part right toward the end of the reading. It's about six verses. Brahma desired Saraswati and went to her, asking her to stay with him. She, being his daughter, was furious at this and said, Your mouth speaks inauspiciously, and so you will always speak in a contrary way. From that day, Brahma's fifth head always spoke evilly and coarsely. Therefore, one day when Shiva was wandering about with Parvati and came to see Brahma, and these are all deities, Brahma's four heads praised Shiva, but the fifth made an evil sound. And Shiva, displeased with the fifth head, cut it off. 
and the skull remained stuck fast to Shiva's hand, and though he was capable of burning it up, Shiva wandered the earth with it for the sake of all people until he came to Benares. Well, of course, that's a myth. But according to this passage, it can be inferred that Brahma desired an incestuous relationship with his own daughter, the goddess Saraswati. Though these imaginary deities do not propagate like human beings, so Hindus would probably insist it was not an incestuous advance on his part. However, this story does prove that Brahma was far from being perfect or omnipotent. Quite the contrary, he was error-prone, subject to temptation, subject to evil desire, vulnerable and weak, and when attacked by the god of destruction, Shiva, who incidentally is also called the Lord of Yoga. Can you imagine that? The Lord of Yoga, the God of Destruction. I'll touch on that on some future program. Still, he succumbed to the attack and lost one of his heads. So, do you really believe that's an existent God? And is it okay to tag that name on the God that Mr. Cleaver said is the one God? The one God that is worshipped with many names in many religions, but it's all a reference to one God. I have a response to that. The God of the Bible is not the same God as the one described as Brahma in Hindu scripture, losing one of his heads because of his evil speech. God has never spoken in an evil way, and he never will speak in an evil way, because one of his attributes is absolute perfection in his morals, perfection in his character, perfection in his will and purpose, perfection in all his ways. If someone were to pray to the Almighty God using the name Brahma, and if he responded, because he responds to any name used to reference him, then he would be validating the myth that I just conveyed to you that goes along with that particular name, because the name of a deity is connected to the doctrinal base surrounding the functions of that deity or the nature of that deity. And so if God responded to someone calling on him using the name Brahma, he would make a very confusing statement about himself. He would be verifying that he had that faulty character, which, of course, God will not do. When that true God came to earth in the form of a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, he never did tell his disciples to worship any God you want, and you will connect with the divine. It doesn't matter what name you use. Just go ahead and Pray whatever name is on your heart out of whatever religion you want to align with. He never said that. Quite evidently, he promoted exclusivity. And Jesus, whose Hebrew name, of course, is Yeshua, dared to boldly say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say that it doesn't matter what religion you align with or what name you use. He said, you have to come through me, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into a relationship with the Father. And Paul 
was just as adamant. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, he said, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He did not say a name. He said the name. Because there is one name that is a name above all other names. And the Bible said, by that name alone, you and I shall be saved. Why? Because the name of Jesus, or more perfectly, the name Yeshua, is associated with the doctrinal base that surrounds the uttering of that name. It includes the concept of his death on the cross, where he identified with the sin of the human race, absorbed it into himself, and became sin for every man, died in our stead. He tasted death for every man. Three days later, he rose again. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. He conquered the curse. He conquered the satanic dominion in this world. He took the keys, the authority to this realm back to himself, and then he ascended up into heaven and sent back the Holy Spirit. No other God in any other religion has that kind of doctrine associated with him or her. Only in Jesus do you find the correct revelation of true salvation. Yes, there is only one God, and that means one God to the exclusion of all others. See, one person can say there is only one God, and they mean an all-inclusive interpretation that all gods are absorbed into the one impersonal force behind it all. But when we as Christian believers say there is only one God, we're talking about an exclusive view, excluding all other interpretations of the Godhead, excluding all other deities except the triune God of the biblical revelation, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and these three are one God. Many members of the very first Congress of the United States must have understood what I'm talking about right now, because one of their first acts was to print and to distribute not the Bhagavad Gita, not the Vedas, which are the sacred books of the Hindus, but they printed and distributed the Bible throughout the colonies of our newly formed nation. We need to get back to the foundation plurality of belief cannot be right. Truth is not subjective. Truth is objective. It's not right to say you can have your truth and I can have my truth and we can both be right. That doesn't line up even with logic. What if Ptolemy in the second century, who believed the earth was the center of the solar system, said to Copernicus, who lived a thousand years later, and he believed the sun was the center, that you can have your truth, Copernicus, and I can have my truth, and we can both be right. Well, that's completely absurd. That's completely illogical. One view has to be right at the expense of the other view being wrong. And so it is with the interpretation of the nature of the Godhead and the way to get back to a relationship with him. No, Emmanuel Kleber may have prayed, but he did not pray to the true God. And he misrepresented that God in front of the leaders of our nation. And we need to pray for him. I don't feel animosity toward him. I don't feel anger toward him. I feel a sense of pity and a sense of compassion because I too once misinterpreted the Godhead 
when I was a believer of Eastern religions and New Age spirituality back in 1970. And so I'm not slashing and bashing. I pray God, the true God, will reveal himself to Emmanuel Cleaver and that he will, the next time he prays, pray according to the biblical standard. May God reveal himself to him and may the true God reveal himself to you. Thank you for joining me on Revealing the True Light. I'm going to do something here at the end of the program that I rarely do. I don't think I've ever done it on this particular podcast. I'm asking you to go to our website, thetruelight.net, and make a commitment to help us for the next year. We've finished out a year of podcasts, and we need sponsors who will help us remain in this flow and continue throughout 2021 getting the word out to you and to the world. We've had over 70,000 downloads in the last year of our two podcasts, and I want to stay on cpnshows.com and on iTunes and YouTube and various other places. I want to get these ideas, these concepts based on a comparative religion approach to truth. I want to get it out to people that are searching and seeking for an understanding of the truth so that they can know the true and the living God. I need your help to be able to do that. So would you go to thetruelight.net and go to the giving page? And if you would, please make a weekly or monthly commitment, and we'll be in touch with you on a monthly basis and certainly show our appreciation for your partnership in this endeavor. I hope to hear from you. I look forward to hearing from you. I will be ecstatic when I hear from you. Please go to thetruelight.net and then go to the giving page and make a weekly or a monthly commitment. We would so deeply appreciate it and we'll pray that God will return it to you many times over. Thank you for joining Mike Shreve today on Revealing the True Light. And thank you for opening your mind and your heart to the truth. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can explore the beliefs of many world religions more deeply by ordering Mike Shreve's book titled In Search of the True Light. We also invite you to visit our website, thetruelight.net, and sign up to be part of our global internet family.